Hey, this is Marina, and you're listening to Sober Baby, a show about how the one thing I have to change is everything. Every Friday, I invite you to hang out with me and my guests on Instagram Live as we talk about addiction, sobriety, and everything in between. Hi, everyone. (laughs) I've been joined by the father. What's your priest's name? Father Schofield. <laughs> that has a really uncomfy ring to it. Yeah, that would be accurate, though. You know? Did you go to church when you were growing up? I did go to church when I was growing up. I did the whole, all the way to confirmation. So through First Communion. Oh my gosh, what's your confirmation name? We didn't get a confirmation name. Oh, I totally did. I had to choose like a saint and then I had to write an essay about okay, her. Okay, yeah, I'm not Catholic. So that's probably the difference. Oh. Yeah, uh, the same thing, but Episcopal. What even is Episcopal? Ew, Jenny, stop like... farting. <laughs> It was just the door closing, guys. Don't worry about it. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing, but the priests don't take a vow of celibacy. They're married. They can be married, and you can get a divorce. So wow. it was formed for that reason initially. Oh, from my understanding, I was wanted a divorce. They're like, oh, yeah. Too much, man. Also, the celibacy thing. I'm like, right, right. You know, it's problematic. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> my confirmation name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yeah, because I literally just saw. Parts of the Caribbean and Elizabeth. Yeah, we don't even need to talk about how hot Kira Knightley looked in that outfit. There you go. I mean, damn. Anyways, welcome to Sober Baby, the Halloween Thank episode you. with Priest Schofield and Spring Breakers. Um, I'm gonna take this off because it's itching my face, but you guys get the vibe. I hope that you all <laughs> um, dressed up for this episode because we missed last week, so you better have joined in full regalia. Also, drop what you guys are being for Halloween this year. And what you're doing, because I don't have any plans. But um, I'm really glad you're here. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah? Yeah, we've been feel... talking about it for a while. Since like a minute, like almost a year maybe? Definitely. Definitely almost a year. Definitely almost a year. About this time last year. <laughs> Basically. Um, <laughs> Pretty much. And yeah, this is my first time sitting down with someone as a member of the the clergy uh, on Sober Baby. It's true. <laughs> I don't know if they're next or like, honestly, what is this? I feel like this is just... This was just a Halloween edition. This like changes. I'm pretty sure, or this changes colors due to like throughout the seasons in the actual church. You know, I think the only one I'm sure of is that in springtime it's purple. Easter for Lent. Oh, for Lent, for Lent, for Lent. <laughs> when you give some shit up. Yeah, yeah, I always like tried to give up drinking for Lent. Never worked. It didn't work. No, no, it didn't. Nothing. That's I was a, like, that's a big one. I was just like, what is the point of giving up something for like a while that you love? Yeah, it's sacrifice, right? It's like a symbolic sacrifice. Yeah, is know? that a little tight on your neck? It's a little. It's not tight. It's itchy. It's got like a little seam in the back of it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you can like take it off yeah. and just wear your normal clothes. It's all right. We're we're running with it. I'm feeling. I like it when I see it myself in it. I'm like, I should have actually been a priest. What the fuck was I doing? <laughs> I know. I should have been a bank robber, but could have would have another life. Man. You know. Yeah, um, that's how I feel. It's okay. We both have multiple lives, which is why you're here today to tell us about. All the different versions of you. And For if sure. you have never been on Sober Baby and you're on the live stream right now, or if you're listening on Spotify, thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, this show is crazy. And this week has been nuts. And I don't know if any of you guys are feeling like today's been really weird. Maybe it's the weather in Florida. It's been like torrentially raining for a couple days, which is always a vibe. Um, but yeah, I hope everyone's doing well. The holidays are approaching, which I know can be kind of hard for people to stay sober or just like stay mentally well. Um, And as someone who is generally mentally ill, (laughs) it's uh, really important for me to like take care of myself right now. So I hope everyone's doing the same. Are you taking care of yourself? I'm I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. You know, uh, I've done better in the past, but I've definitely done a lot worse. That's good. Yep. Um, Do you want to just like tell us? uh, Because I also don't. (coughs) I literally don't know anything about you. My friend Tessa was like. Who's your guest? And I'm like, <laughs> you're like, I don't know. I just got a good feeling about this. <laughs> I was like, I hope him. he doesn't say some fucked up shit, but um, um, I think it'll be okay. Yeah, tell us about you. Uh, just like general facts. Just kind of like how you're coming into the space, like how I'm coming into the sober baby space. Yeah. All right. So my name is Brent Perkins Schofield, and I'm from Gainesville, Florida. Uh, I, I'm coming into this space. I'm a, a hairstylist for a living and I, I did, um, Marina's hair or 
I didn't what? even do your hair, did I? You curled my hair. Okay. You curled my yeah, hair for yeah. the episode that we went. Um, that it also torrentially rained after that, and we had to like switch houses multiple times and locations and like get umbrellas. It was wild. But right. no, you cut Danny's hair I short. Cut, that's right. I cut Danny's hair and and um, McKenna's hair. The whole vibe. Yeah. So we've met. He's the family hairstylist. All of my clients. I'm, she's not actually a client. She just sits in on a lot of my appointments. It's because I need someone to confess to. I mean, I literally only show up because you moonlight as a priest. That's true. That, that yeah. Is true. Yeah. But he's going to cut my hair soon. You guys will see. It's going to be really good. Yeah. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're a hairstylist. What else? What's your sign? When's your birthday? I should probably know this. I My birthday is December 8th. I'm um. You're a Sag? I'm a, I'm a double Sagittarius. I'm a Sag. Uh, Are you? Hell yeah. Guys. Yeah. I'm a double Sagittarius and Aquarius moon. Danny's an Aquarius. Wow. Right. Guys, you learn something new every day. Learn something new. <sighs> Great. We can just call. We don't have to keep going with the episode. Right. I've That's really <laughs> I've gotten what I need to know. Um, but yeah, I think one of the first, I don't even know how we started talking about like sobriety. I probably was just oversharing. Or me, or me. I, I have a tendency of oversharing too, or using my clients as like a therapist, you know? I mean, they're paying you for you to be. That's kind of, that's the best, yeah, that's the best possible case scenario, right? You get paid to get the therapy. I feel like I probably just mentioned to you when I was sitting in your chair, I probably said some spiritual shit and I was like, it's because I'm sober or whatever. And I feel like you were like, oh yeah, I don't like drink either. Yeah, exactly. Probably something along those lines. It's, I'm trying to tone back on it, but it is because it was such a large part of my life. I feel like it was, it's like become a part of my identity that's like one of the first things that's seen by people, you know what I mean? Mm. Or I just like put it out there, but I'm trying to tone down on that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I don't really necessarily want it to be like, like that's who I am. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, that's why I made a talk show, you know, to tone it down. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I do know what you're talking about. I think probably I was just like, he has a good energy. Like there's something, sometimes you can just like tell that people are like, spiritually happening and I feel like I probably just called that out but regardless you're here now and I don't really know a lot of your story um I know that you've been through some shit um I have, yeah but it's an interesting story yeah I don't know where it starts I'm gonna just put a general content warning um in the chat and pin it how's your frock treating you <laughs> it's it's there it's itchy but it's there yeah you can definitely take it off like we all know we, that you're a part of the we priest done, okay all right we've done that we don't confess to like you yeah. can switch into your t shirt. You know I would what have I mean? to leave and go get my t shirt. You can go leave and get your t shirt. Right, cool. Cool. Yeah. The priest needs to go take his moment. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. To be really honest with you guys, it's been a really tough couple of weeks. Um, and I just want to be really transparent about the fact that maybe I haven't put so much effort into Sorry because other things, sometimes priorities shift, right? I'm finishing my my grad program right now and writing my thesis and there is a show, my final show ever, ever in grad school. If you're in Gainesville, um, I've posted about it on my Marina account. Um, and it would be really awesome because I know that there's going to be a lot of really good people there. Um, oh, hello. Hello. Hey, what's your name? My name's Brent. (laughs) That's so weird. Your twin was just in here and he was dressed like a priest. Man. Every time. Every time. (laughs) Every time. Also, your arm is totally blacked out it is has it always been no it's been probably since like 2016 but since i've met you it has been definitely i'm just noticing it now yeah absolutely it was it was uh this is like the third time probably over it's been tattooed it was all covered in tattoos before and we just blacked them out that's wild yeah that's wild yeah shout out bucket anthem did a good job on it shout out yeah yeah, we'll do so Ruby tattoo time soon. <laughs> um, why'd you black them out? Because you didn't like the tats? I started getting tattooed when I was like 14 years old. And so it was a combination of like me feeling like that it was just like uh, not a good representation of who I was anymore. And also uh, it was a bunch of teenagers tattooing each other. So mm-hmm. it just looked awful. I still so. have some of those. Yeah. <clears throat> Haven't been covered up. Um, so... What I guess just to kind of we can like start and then kind of backtrack because not everyone who comes on this show is uh, like the version of sobriety that I am mm-hmm. um, and like something that I think is really important about Sober Baby is just being like, yo, sobriety looks different for everyone, just like addiction looks different for everyone and 
you don't have to be sober to watch the show or to be a part of Sober Baby. Um, so could you just like tell us kind of what sobriety, even if you even call it that, um, like is for you? Well, I try to not call it that. And just for the reason that uh, like I was in the traditional recovery world for a long time and I don't call my lifestyle sobriety or, or clean because I don't want to offend them. And I feel oh, like yeah. that they set the paradigm for what this means and they mm-hmm. will be like their feelings will be hurt or they'll be offended if I have a, a different viewpoint. So I just don't say it. You know what I mean? I'm just living my life in a, the most functional way that I can. So I'm not trying to claim anything that they have ownership to, you know? Mm-hmm. So in other words, like, I guess what I'm asking is like, do you drink alcohol? I do not drink any alcohol. I don't use any pharmaceuticals. I don't use any drugs. I, I smoke marijuana and marijuana has been an, an integral part of my life for many years. I've gone periods of time without it, but yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at. Caffeine, marijuana, nicotine are my, the drugs that I still indulge in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long has it been since you, um, like haven't drank or like stopped drinking? I quit drinking many years ago before I ever quit doing dope or, or anything like that. Um, but I mean, I had a couple of drinks, uh, the last time that I went to detox so that my insurance would cover my detox. <laughs> True. Right? Cause they wouldn't, they were like, nah, we don't care about your opiate addiction. So I was like, I'm an alcoholic too. But, Damn. So they didn't take it seriously that you had. Well, I think that's everybody's insurance. They just, because the withdrawals from your opioid addiction are not going to be deadly. And so you have to have some like deadly withdrawals looming for your insurance to cover it fully. So they'll cover like alcohol and maybe even like benzodiazepines, which is very dangerous withdrawal, but they're not going to cover opiates or cocaine or anything like that. Of course. Right. Of course. Exactly. Also, it's wild that alcohol is like one of the only things that you can die in withdrawal from. Oh yeah. You know? Bad, bad withdrawals. It's scary. Um, so I'm assuming that you didn't always, um, you weren't always like, do you consider yourself having been addicted to stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. um, I mean, just a probably like almost like a fifteen year long, just terrible uh, heroin addiction. You know, what I mean, or like for the majority of it, heroin, but opiates for the whole thing. Not mm-hmm. the, you know, splitting hairs there. When you did know. it start? It started. Well, I'm 37, so like when I was probably like it's 16, 17 was when the entire was when the whole thing started happening for everybody. It was when OxyContin hit and uh, the pill mills became like like a way of life and it just flooded the streets of Florida and everyone, you know what I mean? Anyone that was here for that time remembers how crazy it was. And that's where it started for me, you know, was in the pill mills, pill mill scene. What is the pill mill? Um those were like pain clinics that were popping up all over Florida where you could basically come in, pay them some cash money. They didn't really take insurance because it was all a gray area of legality. And you get whatever you wanted. You mm. come, you know what I mean? You go in, pay them a little bit of money, come out with like 100 Oxycontin 80s a month and a handful of Xanax, you know, or whatever. That's and, wild. Right. And so, and I think that was where a lot of people, at least in Florida's uh, opioid addiction started. Yeah, Florida's yeah. really bad for opioid addiction. Right, it definitely is. And it was like the epicenter. People come from all over the country here. And then when it dried up, then now it's... And then there created a void that needed to be filled, and then it was heroin. So for you, like, what like, what did that journey look like? Because, I don't know, for me, at least, like, I didn't start out... Uh, drinking every day and like doing coke as soon as I woke up like it started gradually and then it like ramped up at a certain point um Mm -hmm. for you was it kind of like off to the races when you were 17 or like what did that kind of 15 year moment look like I mean I started getting high uh years before that even um like just smoking marijuana, stealing alcohol from my parents around like 11, 12 so like I was fully like like, uh, had a substance abuse problem. I should say like it before I ever tried to opiate, mm. you know? And, uh, and then I remember trying opiates and not liking them and they made me sick, but they were just so prevalent that I just kept trying them. 
they were just there and everyone was like doing them. So I just did them and then I liked them, you know, eventually I liked them. And then at that point it was probably off to the races. But no, I had a bad substance abuse problem before opiates. I had repercussions from it. I spent time in juvenile detention facilities and and uh, all that before I ever touched opiate, you know? So I just, you know what I mean? Substance abuse in my family and in my life has always been a thing. I don't mm. I couldn't imagine. I think I was talking to my homegirl about this the other day. I was like, yeah, but that shit's like everybody's family. And then and I was, we were talking about, uh, you know, dopey and shit and uh she was like no yeah it's not and i was thinking about it and i was like damn maybe you're right but for me in my immediate circle and my friends it was just everywhere you know are your um do you have siblings i have a half brother and a half sister um but they didn't grow up in the same house okay yeah yeah i think about how like my sister and i are like the two addicts of our family. Like mm-hmm. we're like the, we're like the weird one. It's like, there are definitely other people in my family who I think probably have other problems and that's not really like my place to, you know, judge or say, but my sister and I are the only ones who have gone through the fucking ringer with addiction and then gotten like sober, whatever that looks like for us. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of like the outliers. Yeah. Um, even though people I've always run with, it's always been about drugs. It's always been about, you know, it's always been about that. So right. maybe like yeah. more of my chosen family and less my like biological family. I've been surrounded by it my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. You know, mm-hmm. um, did you grow up in like a household where it was around? No, I grew up in a household. Well, kind of. Um, I grew up in a household with people who uh, kind of were like misleading me about who they may have been and who they may like were when Mm. they were young. Mm -hmm. So they, so it was kind of like hinted to me that, that, um, addiction runs in our family Mm. from, from before I really understood what that meant. But whenever they were talking about themselves, they would be, it was no, not us though, you know, but then as an adult, it turned out that, you know, my father drank himself into pancreatitis, you know what I mean? And my mother abused substances her whole life, but they, their belief kind of was like, we're going to just like present this image and hopefully he <laughs> follows in the same path. The interesting part is not knowing anything about my father really like in his story, we we ended up having a very similar story, mm. you know? So that is something I've noticed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just talking um, again to Tessa who did my makeup um, before this and just like it's really – it's really – the lengths that I feel like my family and that people's families go to to present this image that everything's okay. Right. This is a loving, quote unquote, normal household when actually like shit is low-key always hitting the fan. And I think this might relate to a lot of people as you get ready or if you are visiting family for the holidays. It's like I'm, I have some anxiety about seeing my family because I'm like we're all just going to pretend like everything's great when actually low-key there's so much stuff below the surface that – yeah. nobody talks about and everyone right. just gets drunk over right or whatever yeah i mean like you're kind of in the in between a rock and a hard place there it's like you, you don't i mean it's so deeply rooted that you you don't have time to talk about it over the holiday visit or hash any of it out yeah. you just kind of got to like pass the cranberry sauce put the smile on <laughs> and cheers and then you know what i mean maybe hash it out on your own later yeah because it's uncomfortable <clears throat> yeah that's yeah, it's for real sure. shit. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when you were like, like, what were you doing aside from drugs? Like what? Cause you were living your life. Like you didn't just be, become a hairstylist. Like what were you doing other than that? Like as this was kind of happening in your early twenties. In my early twenties. Or so, like late teens, I guess into early twenties. Yeah. So I, I, uh, like I said, I was like in trouble throughout my whole teenage years. So I uh, dropped out of high school, was just kind of like fucking off in the street doing whatever, you know, getting in trouble. So like my family was like, dude, you got to do something. You got to get a trade or get a job. And so I uh, went to welding school. And so that's what I did. I did that for 12 years and, and it was wonderful. I loved it. It was, uh, gave me something to be like proud of and it gave me a way to earn a living that wasn't like, you know, karmically bad. (laughs) And 
it like afforded me to see the country. I got to travel with these mm. companies and see different places. But I mean, I was strung out the whole time and it was a culture that was completely supportive of me being strung out. Really? You know, like like drugs is the, you know, is is the norm. You know, you're on drugs, you're alcoholic. Nobody that does that for a living. I mean, that's that's the same, but most people are are using substances. Or they have some kind of negative coping mechanism. Mm. You know what I mean? They're either like drug addicted or stripper addicted or gambling addicted or, or something like that. Everyone's a thousand miles away from any kind of accountability they have in their life. It's just like a bunch of guys in a hotel room with their wives two states over. Mm. So like pockets full of money. And so it was just a party for for 10 years or something, something like a party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a bunch of getting high at least. Yeah, um, you said karmically bad. You yeah. said you didn't want to do something karmically bad. What what is karmically bad? I didn't want to like call it like to like cause pain or you know in on anyone else's life and you know what I mean and then have to reap that crop that I sowed out there you know like uh, in the end because it's, I mean my belief is that it all comes back to you from what I've seen and be able to observe. You know, in my life. Yeah, I mean, the truth always comes out. The, tr- the Oh, yeah, the truth always comes out for sure. Uh-huh. And you reap what you sow. And that's like, uh, that goes for like, if you're out there doing bad shit to people, stealing people. But that also goes just for, for good stuff too. If you're like sowing seeds of like love and understanding, that's what you're probably going to reap, you know, mm-hmm. in your life, in your personal life. Totally. Yeah. One of my favorite science fiction authors, Octavia Butler. Do you know about her? I've recognized the name. Okay. So basically she wrote this story about this girl um, named Lauren who has this condition called hyper empathy where if she touches someone, she can feel what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And like part of what this character is doing is trying to figure out in like a dystopian like LA in 2024, like how to be spiritual, like how to be karmically good. She's like trying to figure this shit out. And basically Mm -hmm. what she says is like, um, like all that you change changes you and like everything, the whole thing is about like everything that you put out, like you get back and maybe you get back yeah. tenfold. And I never understood that concept. And I also was just like, I've put out so much good stuff and I've gotten fucked over to be honest. Like, I feel like right. it's hard to be karmically good when you're not seeing immediately and what's coming back to yeah, you. Yeah, and that's what addicts love is immediate gratification, you know. That's all that's I want. The, that's all I want. That's <laughs> juice. I still want it, even though I'm not using, Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Uh, that's like, that's it in a nutshell. I know. And like, <laughs> I think karmic, well, I think the hard part about being, about not like always leaving reality anymore is that karmic goodness, to use your word, is a long game. You know, it's a long mm-hmm. game. It's a long game and it's, and it's, yeah, it's like layered, you know? <sighs> yeah. It's tricky. It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Cause like you said, it's like, you might think that you're doing good things right in the world and waiting for these good things to come back, but you really got to be like self-observant in your motives for these good things and like your, your spirit as you're doing them or, and all of these things I think are like layered in there and in, in the result that you get, Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I think I've been doing really hard, really good work the past couple of weeks and I haven't felt, I haven't felt anything. Like if my, if this is my emotional baseline, mm-hmm. usually if I do something, I'll feel like I'll feel, feel something or, and, or bad about it. One yeah. Or the other. And feeling good and bad mm-hmm. for me as an addict is great. All I want to do is feel, to be honest, like the way that I move through the world mm-hmm. is by feeling, is by getting a hit from those feelings. Mm-hmm. And so when I don't feel things, I'm like, what? why even go on and also like what is going on yeah maybe you should look into that you know i feel like that's the <laughs> maybe goal. i should look into yeah, that yeah for me i feel like that's for me that sounds like you've achieved some balance you know <sighs> which i mean is probably scary because it's not extreme and that's what we like is extreme fucking emotions whether they're negative or not that's just palpable and we just crave it we can't let go of it if it's killing us we can't let go of it because it feels so strong you know it's like you're addicted to that shit. Yikes. Yeah. Did not know you were going to come on here and read me today. But <laughs> thank you, Father. Yeah, um, someone no in the problem. chat wants to know what's your coolest weld. Oh, yeah. Blessed. I feel my, blessed. My coolest weld? Yeah. What was what's your the coolest, coolest shit weld? shit I worked on? I don't know. Oh, man. I built um, some cool shit for the Navy, some some ships and stuff. I built armor trucks for the military in Charleston, the, uh, the MRAP vehicles and stuff. I built um, 
Did you do building? All I'm thinking about is like the Empire State Building. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mostly built ships. I was a welder, oh. ship fitter, and, and uh, my, I worked in shipyards all over the country, mostly. And for a short period of time, I worked in power plants, um, but they drug tested too much. So, so I found mm. like a little part of the welding world that was more accepting of my lifestyle, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Did people know what was going on? Like that you were, yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, on some level, like no one back here in Gainesville fully knew. They knew I had liked getting high, but they didn't know I had a life threatening, like heroin addiction. But I had my bosses and shit. They knew. They used to, uh, like, I used to just be like, yo, I got to go on lunch break somewhere. And I might be a little bit laid back, but I'm going to be feeling better, you know, and I'm going to be able to get some fucking work done. And they're like, all right, you know, do what you got to do. Bro, how how did you how did you like hold a job while doing heroin all the time? Um, like, how did you live? I was fine. Um, you were fine as an opiate addict, as far as like functioning in my job, because all I had to do was come in and like nod at my boss, and then I was like inside of some like tank and some ship all by myself with like a hood over my face, no one around. So it was very like a good job to be a dope fiend. You know what I mean? Like no one's catching you nodding or or anything like that or acting weird. I mean, I did it functionally kind of for prob like as functional as a heroin addict can be. Like, but I but this the my situation was unique in that I almost had like these parents that was the companies that I worked for because they would take care of the hotel bill and they mm. would take care of travel arrangements and all I had to do was show up and do my job. So mm. like all of these like little logistical things is a lot of times where your life falls apart as an addict. Like you can't, you know what I mean? You're not making the bills, you're late, you can't mm-hmm. manage the money, you know? But none of that was really ever an issue. So I just kept going and going. And uh, and it was until I met my wife and then the introduction of methamphetamine into my like regimen when was where I just became insane. Like literally just like an insane person and, and fucking at that point I couldn't hold the job anymore. Mm, what was that switch? How did you get introduced to meth? Like how that so transition happened? I'm a, I was like a traveler. And so my drug intake was heavily, uh, influenced by regional flavors. Mm. You know what I mean? Like what? Like chef's you go, kitchen. You go to a different part of the country. Yeah. They like different drugs uh-huh. and different drugs are more popular in certain parts of the country. And so I went to Mobile, Alabama and I had just come from Baltimore, Maryland, which is a big heroin place. It's like heroin, heroin, heroin. And I went down there and like heroin was hard to find, but like, so it was back to pills and it was like a lot of methamphetamine. And so me being an IV drug user, I'm just, I was at that, I mean, for many years, I was just like, is it water soluble? Mm. Is the question, really, is really the question. Because if I can put it in my needle, then I probably am going to enjoy it, you mm. know, or or something like that along those lines. So that's how I got introduced to methamphetamine. And like, and all of that in the same time, I got introduced to that, I got introduced to making methamphetamine and all of that like led to this spin out of control for me in my life. I mean, it was out of control the whole time. I mean, throughout before all of this, there was like many stops in county jails all over the country and uh, and many terrible incidents and overdoses that I that I could have not made it through and all that before that. But but the meth came the insanity and the psychosis and the shadow people and and all of that, you know. What are the shadow people? I feel like um, anyone that's out there listening that's uh, experienced any kind of like excited delirium or psychosis from whether it's fucking coke or meth or or whatever stimulant that's or whatever they that. Luckily, I've never tried the Molly stuff you, you guys are doing nowadays, but I've seen some. <laughs> that was. That I've was actually never tried time. Molly. Yeah, no, me either, either, man. Either. But I've seen some people bugging out off of that shit, so yeah. I know it's something along those lines. Um, but yeah, so you, everyone sees this shit. That's the interesting part has always been the interesting part of the phenomenon to me. It's like this, uh, how, if, if it's something out of my subconscious, why is it that everyone sees the same thing? Yeah. So shadow people, if you don't know when you've been awake for some days 
and you're kind of slipping in and out of reality. Uh, you'll see, like for me, they used to they started off in the beginning when I first started having psychosis. They would be in the distance, and I would see them like scurry past. It would just be an image in my peripheral, and I and it just kind of like startle you a little bit. And then over the years, as my psychosis grew and everything, they would get closer and more visible. And in in the end, they would be like right behind me, like breathing in my face, literally, like behind the couch or something. I've heard people call them ghost riders. You look in the rearview mirror of your car and you see people sitting in your back seat mm. and then you like turn around and they're gone. Same same deal, you know. But yeah, it's just like a manifestation of your paranoia. If if it is you being crazy or it's like the fabric between this dimension and another dimension like becoming like stretched so thin that you can possibly maybe like see some things mm-hmm. that you weren't seeing before I don't know is it is kind of like a theory that I've heard before about it yeah I guess the reason that I ask you about it is because um the art show that I have that I just installed mm-hmm. um is called shade and the reason it's called shade is because I have this version of myself who I think of as a shadow mm-hmm. and her name is shade and mm-hmm. like I think it's strange and kind of like divine and like weirdly timed that you're telling me about this right now, just as I've kind of come to this con- like realization that I have like a shadow self and like a shadow version that kind of follows me. And like, yeah, I still can't get rid of her. You know, I've never considered that it could be me. Like the, like the dark me, like mm. behind me, you know what I mean? Never considered that. That's interesting. I think it's wild that everyone has that though. Like everyone sees that. Everyone sees it. Yeah. Everyone sees it. It's very weird. Everyone sees the same things, you know? Mm-hmm. So, or maybe we're just all wired the same, or maybe our minds aren't as separate as we think. Or I mean, I I'm really here for the kind of like fabric separation. That's really how it feels to me. And I don't know. Once again, back to the religious thing. And I don't know if it's because I've been indoctrinated from my childhood and like some other experiences that I've had. But yeah, that's where my mind goes is that it's demons. You know, mm. that's the feel. They don't feel very nice. You know, they don't feel like they're there to help out for sure. Mm. <laughs> so you had shadow people <coughs> and a wife and meth and I, psychosis. I had a wife who was uh, just as just as bad on drugs as I ever was. Um, who we had nothing in common, you know, except for our love of drugs and our willingness to do whatever the fuck it took to get them. You know, so that was, a, but that created a bond. And then we had a further bond created through suffering, mm. um, trauma bonds. You know, we just been through so much shit together that we couldn't like let each other go. You know, we fucking hated each other, you know, or we could not be around each other. I shouldn't say we hate each other, you know, but, but yeah, so that was, you know, I forgot where I was going with that. Just like, it sounds like chaos. It was very chaotic, yeah, definitely. And I don't mean that as a judgment. I mean, like, I can relate, you know, to an extent. I can relate to this idea of just kind of, like, being so wrapped up in a person and because they, like, co-sign the world that you're trying to create. That is a good way to put it. Yes, they co-sign your bullshit. You need that support. Even if you don't like them anymore or even if you can't be in the same room, as you said, like there's something about finding someone who, for me at least, finding someone who quote unquote was just as bad as I Mm -hmm. was, or to be honest, I thought the majority of the people that uh, co-signed my bullshit were worse than me. And then I would feel better about myself because I'm not as bad as that person and I'm not as bad as you and you're the real addict and you're really fucked up. And Mm -hmm. um, I kept those relationships up for so long because it just propped my world up. Yeah, I, I can totally see that as being a thing. I can I can co-sign that for sure. Great, you can co-sign my co-sign, co-sign of the bullshit. Your co-sign theory. <laughs> Absolutely. Great. Well, now that we've co-signed, um, when did shit hit the fan? Like, when did that kind of come to a head? I would say like, like my very, let me see, like my very first bottom. I would say I had like a sequence of bottoms that were they had trap doors where I just thought. Mm. Shit, I was like, oh man, this is the worst shit it could ever be. I need to get my shit together. But then when it would get a little better, I would like, you know what I mean? Uh, be like, oh, I got this now and I'll fuck it up again. But so first I was in Mobile. I was living in this um, 
we're living in an area that's called the bottom and ironically <laughs> right right and anyone that knows mobile knows that area downtown and we're living in a cheap ass motel there me and my wife and um i owed some drug dealers some money and they and i so i uh i was on thin ice with the hotel already because me and my wife would argue all the time basically to make a long story short and so uh, I owed these drug dealers this money, and I wasn't there. And um, they thought that I was there, and they kicked in the door to come to do whatever they were going to do to me in this hotel room. And then so when I returned back to the hotel, the owner of the hotel was livid with me and kicked me out. He was like, these people, they're, they're looking for you. They kicked the door off the hinges. The police were here, mm. blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, I got nowhere to go. He's like, I don't care, man. Uh, you need to get out of here. And I had no more money. Um, I had got a title loan out on my car that I did not pay and they had found it eventually. So I had no car at this point. So I remember I took the comforter off of the fucking hotel bed. Just like, that was the only thing I could think of. I was like, I'm taking something out of this fucking place. <laughs> so this comforter, I'm walking down Government Ave, which is like University Avenue in Gainesville uh -huh. in Mobile, just trying to think about what I was going to do. I sent my wife, her mother lived there in Mobile. So I sent her back to her mother's house, but I couldn't go to her mother's house. She didn't like me for obvious reasons. And so I lived in this abandoned apartment complex that was right on government. Ave. It was an old project apartment building that they uh, were getting ready to condemn and tear down basically. Uh, and I lived there for months, uh, shooting up meth and heroin in a, in a little room with some candles. And there was like mad people living in there, dude. It was like, a, it was like fully inhabited. You know what I mean? It was an interesting place. It looked like some shit out of New Jack city. And, um, yeah, I was shoplifting. <laughs> like that was how I was feeding my habit at that time. I would like, this is a long time ago. So like Blu-ray movies, you know, were like just hitting the scene. So they were would, hot. They, they were, were like, hot, they were so hot. I would steal just so many Blu-ray movies and I would take them to the pawn shop and they would give me like $3 a piece for them. Damn. And I would go get dope with it. And I lived like that on the street from Mobile for, for a long time. Or what seemed like a long I mean, no offense to anyone who's been out there years, you know, but for me it was like two or three months. And... uh and then, and I thought that was my bottom. I was afraid that was going to be my life. I couldn't see any way out of it. You know, I'd lost all my tools, uh, burned all my bridges. You know what I mean? And I was just sitting there one day and uh, like an old friend of mine drove up. And he was like, what's up, man? You ready to go back to work? I was just standing on the fucking corner. I was like, hell yeah. So he picked me up and brought me to Panama City. So I get out there and uh, like, uh, I mean, I'm doing good basically until I get pockets full of money you know and uh at that point i bring my wife back out there to panama city with me to so that we can fall off together you know and we started getting high together man again and it ended in an argument out in front of the hotel uh panama city where tyndall parkway for anyone who's familiar um at the uh value place in on tyndall parkway and we we're standing out front and the cops got called and that was the very last time I ever saw my wife. I got put in the back. I had a warrant here in Gainesville that was like mad old that I was like never planning on taking care of. And uh, for a DUI I got years before. So I got picked up on that warrant basically. And, and uh, that was the very last time I saw the mother of my child, man. You know, and uh, I got taken to jail and then extradited back here. Then I was, then I uh, got out and then I bucked on my probation because I was like, I can't do this shit. I'm going to fuck it up. Uh, I'm a, still strung out. So I, I bounced back up to Panama City and um, got arrested again, but this time for a felony methamphetamine, um, possession of methamphetamine with intent to distribute charge. So that was, then I was like, this is it. This is my bottom, you know? Mm. So I sat up there for like seven months and then got extradited back here to Gainesville for to finish up on the probation violation charge that I had from running. 
And I asked the judge to go to treatment. And that was the first time I went to treatment, mm. you know? And so uh, I didn't have any money. And so no insurance, no money. So my mom finds this, like, she's like, I found a free rehab. She's talking to me. I'm in the county jail. She's like, yeah, it's called Faith Farm. I'm like, that shit sounds crazy, you know? <laughs> that sounds like your first communion. <laughs> that shit sounds crazy. But it's free, and they're good. The, the, the judge is going to sign off on it. He's yeah. going to let me out of jail. So I, I'm about it. So I went down there. I didn't have shit. I had nowhere to go. So I was like, because a couple of these times I got out of jail, I, like I got out of jail, and I had like literally nothing. When I got arrested in Panama City, I didn't even have a fucking shoe. Like I didn't have both my shoes. <laughs> I was running and I Sorry. lost a shoe. So when I got out, I had one fucking shoe. <laughs> and nobody didn't even know anyone in the town. So I just couldn't face going through that process again. So I'm I was sorry like, for laughing. I was like, yeah, it's, it's funny, yeah. So I was like, rehab, man, yeah. For the first time ever. Because anytime I had been presented to me in the past, I was like, oh, fuck no. But I always had enough left in me to like, you know like get through like mm -hmm. it was never like it's the only option so it was the only option either that or like step out homeless again and uh so i went down there man i was down there for a year it was one of the best and fucking craziest experiences of my life like like i was raised like we said earlier i was raised in the church but nothing like this i mean we're talking like knocking people out with the spirit no offense, I do love this culture and I have appreciation for it if anyone's listening is Pentecostal or spirit-filled. Um, yeah, knocking people out, speaking in tongues, never been exposed to any of that. They're like <laughs> praying the demons out of you, praying the addiction out of you. It was bananas. It was absolutely bananas. From like, from my upbringing, I was just like, <laughs> the whole time, like exorcisms, they would exercise demons out of people. I'm not, this is no cap. Ask anyone that's been down there. Faith Farm <laughs> Ministries. <laughs> and I, it's can't, a, I just can't even imagine. Like, this is just wild. Like, I did yeah. not know. First of all, you are so energized. <laughs> so energized. I'm, I'm freaking out because I just can't even imagine, like, meth, shadow people, no shoes, and then speaking in tongues at this Faith Farm. It's like. It's crazy. It's crazy. It, I couldn't, yeah, I, sometimes I look up and I just tell God, man, I couldn't have, I wouldn't have seen this shit coming if I wrote this shit myself, man. Like, God yeah. damn. That's know? why I'm laughing because it's like profound. Yeah. It's profound. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was crazy. It was just such a weird place, man. People stay there for years because they don't make them leave. Mm. Like people just stay there forever. It's, it's scary kind of, but, but I mean, uh, if for whatever reason, any of those people hear this, they probably never will, but I love all of you people and I appreciate it. Yeah, but yeah, there. I actually sent <laughs> Faith yeah. Farm a message. They're all they're all here. They're all here. They're they're just like back there judging. They're like, I mean, I think it's okay. <laughs> and I say this as someone who has had a lot of different help from a lot of different places yeah. in getting and staying sober. I think it's okay to kind of take what you need and express gratitude, mm -hmm. and also be like, yeah. I don't completely identify mm -hmm. or I don't completely relate. Like, I think that's the crazy thing about sobriety or about you have addiction. To be able to do that, right? Yeah, you have mm -hmm. to. Yeah, you gotta, they say, chew up the meat, spit out the bone. Yep. For the vegetarians, chew up the tofu, spit out the tofu. Spit out the wrapper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. This is, this is like the life right here, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you, did you speak in tongues? I'm dying to know. No, but I was heavily okay. encouraged to, but I just never felt, and I'm a praying person and I'm a, and uh, all that and a faithful person, but uh, I didn't feel it. So I didn't do it. You know what I mean? True. Like if I was to be, if I was to honestly have felt like the Holy Spirit entered my vessel and was outpouring <laughs> grumblings of the spirit, like I would fucking have been so, felt so blessed, you know, but yeah. it never happened. So. But uh, but they did encourage it. They were like, just try it in the shower, man. Let's just, just, you know what I mean? Like when you're in the shower alone, just you know, it's just me and the blah, shadow blah, blah, people blah, blah, in the shower. Blah, 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 just let it let it loose, bro. They're like, yo, when you're out in the field, because we work for a living out there, man. Right? Were you farming? There is a farm, but oh, okay. I did not work on the farm. Um, it's a misleading title. Just it is. Be they have an orange grove. They have a working orange. Oh. There's three campuses. One's in Okeechobee. That's the farm. One's in Boynton Beach, and one's in Fort Lauderdale. And so. Uh, so I worked moving furniture. They have like a, mm. a, a furniture 
moving. They have like a flea market basically, and they go down there in South Florida and they clean out people's houses of oh, okay. like all their old furniture. Yeah. They write them a little receipt for their taxes and they go sell it at the flea market. Mm. So that's what I did. It sounds like throughout all these stories, aside from the obvious stuff, um, that you really like working with your hands. I do, yeah. I and and I'm aware of that. I would never try to. I just like it so much that I uh, that I wouldn't want to do anything else. I would go crazy if I was to sit in front of a computer all day. Yeah, like I don't know all the things that you've mentioned, even from like. From the idea of like welding and being in this space to like the fact that you cut hair and like style now to like even using your hands for IV drug use. It's like all of it is revolving around this kind of mm-hmm. experience, like this embodied experience with your hands. I can relate. I mean, like Definitely. I'm an artist, like I feel it's all you. It's like that. It's all very ritualistic. Yeah. It's all very, like, yeah. I, I'm, the I've, setup. Yeah, the, the setup. Up, the, the setup. The procedure. You know, yeah. and all of that. It's all there. It's present yeah. and accounted for. Uh-huh. It's like yeah. all the same. It's just different materials. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It is. So you got exercised. I got exercised. No tongues, and you left the farm after a year. No, no tongues. I was there for a year. I came back to Gainesville, reunited with my son and my – um my parents, who, who I had been estranged from for many years, you know what I mean? Um, and tried to, like, start over, you know what I mean? In my 30s, mm. in Gainesville, where it all started, you know what I mean? And in Gainesville, man, I just have, like, a long, long history. So when I first came back, I was just just nervous about just being in Gainesville, man. Just I've just uh, not been on my best behavior here over the years. You know, and I always kind of was like, oh, fuck it. I'm out of this bitch anyways. You know, Mm -hmm. now I got to come see all these people and, uh, you know, and be face to face with people that I fucked over when I was in my addiction. So, Mm. but but that's super good to, to have to go through, to face it eventually. So I came back and I got a job like welding, but it was mad depressing. It was like, we're just like building dumpsters and shit. (laughs) And I was like. This fucking terrible, you know? Dude. <laughs> and they were paying me, like, less than I was making when I first started yeah. welding. So I was just like, man, they really fuck craftsmen over in Gainesville. Also, you like, know? you were going back to this thing that you had done in such a specific way for so long, like... Right. It all has to do with what are you building and what can they charge for that? Like, they can charge the Navy fucking whatever they want for a ship. Right. <laughs> How much can you charge for a dumpster? You $10. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then you, what's going to happen when you pay the welder $30 an hour to make it? Yeah. You just fucking lost money on it. Mm. You know? So you're welding and you're like, I hate this. How? Tell hate me this. about this transition between welding and hair because some might be concerned about that connection, but I feel like there's a good there's a good reason. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the full truth. Truth. Tell us the and truth. it's fucking weird. It's a weird way that this ended okay. up and it's kind of embarrassing a little bit, just my mentality at the time and my perspective. Um, I was sitting with well, this. It all started. I was sitting in the county jail in uh, Panama City. I was talking to my dad on the phone, who has a long history of incarceration himself, uh, way more than me. Like he's a fucking dude is a time doer, you know. And um, he was like, "Wow, well, just get used to it, man. Just get familiar with your surroundings because this is going to be your life now." Mm. You know, so the saddest part about that is I did. And so I was looking around and I'm like indigent, you know, I have nothing and I'm starving. And, uh, from what I could tell, man, the only people that were making money in there were the hustlers and the barbers. And so that thought planted its seed in my mind at that point. And then when I was down there in rehab, we, uh, at the farm, we had a barber shop there. And we would just go in there and cut each other's hair and fuck around. And I was like, oh, I really like this, you know? So then um, I had some partners of mine that were, that were around that were actually, that had been barbers. And they were kind of like, man, maybe you should uh, think about being a hairstylist. Like, it, you just got a lot more creative license. You make more money. And I, so I thought about it and uh, it just made sense. So that's what I settled on, you know? Wow. I started out trying to be a barber. So I could have money in jail. And then, but then ended up a hairstylist. Yeah. That's beautiful. (laughs) Wow. No, that seriously is. I mean, it's amazing to think about um, 
I don't know. I struggle with this idea that like addicts are bad and like only once we are sober or only once we're clean or whatever the fuck words you want to use, like we're good. Like I think there's always redemption. There's all, there's like we're humans no matter what, you know what I mean? Like we are humans no matter what and we just struggle with addiction and there's always redeeming qualities about people and so many things to use the seed example that you're talking about, like so many things for me, like a past version of myself planted in addiction and only like as I've my brain has cleared from all of the haze. Have I been able to like nourish and allow those things to grow? Yeah. Which is wild. It's like time travel. It's like that stretching that you were talking about. It's that, just. That's the, that, that's the miracle, right? Yeah, yeah. It's magic. It is. And yeah. now Brent's killing it, guys. I don't know if you know this, but Brent literally cuts really good hair and does really good color and Thank you're you. just killing it. So. I appreciate it. Follow my Instagram. Yeah. Brent Perkins At hair. Brent Perkins hair. I've tagged him in every post this week. So yeah. make it happen. Um, and yeah. So couple couple closing questions. I also want to open it up for all the people who have um, been on the live stream. If you guys have questions for Brent, drop them in the chat. Um But the one question that I'm asking selfishly is um, when you meet people now and you seem like you kind of have some of your stuff figured out more so than, you know. Yeah, I'm wary because there's really like never been a time when I didn't feel that way in my pridefulness. So like I'm just trying to nowadays be like, okay, I probably don't have it figured out. Right. Uh Uh-huh. But I'm, I'm doing better. So what I'm trying to ask is... When you meet people now who have never known you as like the meth using psychotic mm-hmm. Brent. Right. But you know that you've been that way. Mm-hmm. And you meet people who have never seen you like that and they just have this impression of you, which yeah. is like which is like great. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like what does that make you feel weird? Because it makes me feel weird. I'm asking it's a selfish question. It makes me feel weird sometimes knowing all the stuff that I've done and that the people that I meet like now just have no idea like no what idea. I'm capable of. <laughs> so so it is weird and it's weird when it when it when it unravels or whatever too you know um because yeah i had people like I, I i i suffered a relapse right before um the right right when the covid lockdown happened you know and so all of the people in my life that had never known me because i've been clean for years at that point and had a, like my career going in the salon industry. I was working at Mode at the time, and it's a nice place. And uh, and none of these people, all these people, fucking loved me. And they were so, they, you know what I mean. Mm. And then I just went crazy. And I started getting high again, and I showed up so fucking high. I had two different pairs of shoes on, <laughs> and uh, and just the insanity was so hard for everyone to handle. They didn't know what to think. They had never seen that person, and that's when it became abundantly clear. Like you said, it's like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. And, uh, but I don't struggle with that. Like when I meet people, I just like to leave it where it is. Like they don't Mm. need to know crazy meth Brent, you know, Mm. I don't really feel like that's me. You know what I mean? To be honest with you, I don't try to like hold on to that and like cherish it. I feel like some people just cherish that the, like their war story, you know? And it's like, they wear like a badge of honor and I'm guilty of that too, but I'm trying to stop doing that, you know? I'm trying to just be the person I am now and leave that person where he mm. where he fucking died, you know? Mm. That's so hard. That's it really is. hard. It is hard, yeah. Especially because sometimes it's like the only – like I don't get to do cocaine anymore, so the only thing I have left of that drug are the stories that I have and the version of me that I have. And if I let go of her – I have, I, it's let go. Mm-hmm. It's let go. It's l- gone. And, and you know, that's such a, like, that's such a real thing because there's parts of that person that I'm talking about that I really liked, you know mm. what I mean? Or that I thought was cool yeah, or like bold or whatever that I didn't want to let go of. And that shit made me suffer for a lot longer because I tried <laughs> to figure an equation out where I could bring those parts of that Brent with me and it just didn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Trying to f- just like tweak the equation, you know what I mean? And uh and then it just it just isn't a thing. Once you're like a new version of yourself, you just have to uh embrace that, you know? So what right? do you do? Yeah, I mean, I'm right yeah. here with you. Yeah. What do you do like cuz I think a lot of people like to talk about self-care and like self-care is just this kind of word that I feel like it's it thrown around it's very and you're trendy. like 
it's trendy. So ignoring the trendy part, what do you do to just like take care of yourself every day? Because you talked about not like not having shoes, like literally sleeping in, in like this abandoned place. Like you were doing the best you could obviously, but I'm sure that taking care of yourself now looks really different than it did five, 10 years ago. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I try to do, uh, like I have a certain set of like rituals that I do, you know what I mean? That I, that I think help a lot. I, uh, I pray, you know, I meditate, I journal, which is something that I, that I learned in treatment. And I still do that. You know what I mean? Because when you do that, you kind of can get a glimpse at yourself from, from like a perspective that, that you don't have mm-hmm. otherwise. So I find that to be very helpful. And that's kind of like my way. If you're in like the traditional recovery world, that's kind of like my um, daily moral inventory right is from the steps so mm-hmm. like uh i kind of take a look at my day and and check my motives and all of these like things that you've heard before i uh i try to stay healthy physically i do yoga is my preferred exercise With, like a cigarette and like a shaking hand of coffee yeah <laughs> we're done. exactly bro. i i literally do i'm not like that but i know i i always go in there and i and i'm not gonna lie to you i kind of like just get a little bit of pleasure knowing that I'm going in there and everyone smells the cigarettes <laughs> on me and they're like, what the fuck is Wait, wrong Wait, where do you do dude? yoga? Yoga pod. Oh my God, I did my free class there. Did you? Yeah. You should do the 30 for 30. That's what they told me, but then I was like, yeah. nah, it sounds like a scam. It, it's only a scam because you're going to love it so much. You're not going to want to. Do you want to do yoga together sometime? I would love to. Okay, yeah, cool. For sure. Next sober baby, yoga yeah. pod. 104 degrees in there. Yeah. You exactly. sweat your butt off. So you yeah. do yoga. That's cool. I do. Uh, do you have that smoker's cough in the middle of yoga? <laughs> I, I t- seem to seem to not do it, but I do it once every haircut. <laughs> Just like that. One one time every haircut. COVID. Yo, it's been happening since before COVID. Uh, the owner of the salon I work at has been mentioning that to me forever. He'll, he's trying to be very nice about it. He's like, so Brent, I just want to talk to you about just this one little thing. It's like... <laughs> Every time that you're doing someone's hair, you just like, I mean, just a little thing where you just <coughs> do a little cough thing. Think you could not do that? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying Brent's to do boss, that if shit. you're watching this right now. Lonnie, we love you so much. Don't know who you are, but it was probably, <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. This has been what? Uh, how you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm sweating a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It's the lights. We have it two is. of them today. Yeah. Um. Mm, I don't even know what to say because I feel like this was one of those episodes where I learned a lot. So it feels kind of like, do you have anything else you want to say? <laughs> hey, um, what do I, what do I have to say? I don't think so. Yeah. No, you always do. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Let me pull it back for a second. Let me pull um, it back. I got caught up on like the, the Lonnie impression and the cigarette thing. Um, yeah. I guess like. I think we are both people sitting here who maybe didn't, if I can lump us in together, who maybe didn't think that we would be here if you were to have told us separately 100%. 10 years ago. I would have been like, mm-hmm. why am I sitting next to this dude? Like, why are we in this apartment? Like, if you showed us like a oh, like a projection, weird? wouldn't that yeah, be so crazy? That would have been weird. And I would have just like, first of all, I'm tatted. Yes. Yeah. Second of all, who's this guy? Third of all, why are you guys talking into this screen? And like, right. why are you talking about like, and like, I just wouldn't have even known what to do with the fact that this is reality. And I think I'm trying to relate this to this idea of like letting go of the selves that died, like letting go of those versions and making space. Because if we don't let go, we're not going to have space to become the future versions of ourselves. That's correct. Yeah, you're making room energetically for for the the, the future self. And yeah. then to go back to and then that reminds me of what you're talking about earlier with like the immediate gratification thing. Like from just watching a lot of people like try to get clean and then mm. fucking fail miserably like I have several times or and a lot of people what what I've noticed is that it takes a long time before you see any fruits in your life, you know? Before you Anything good comes from mm. the work that you're putting in to staying clean or staying off of drugs or whatever. And, and uh, so I think a lot of people are like, wow, like this is just as bad as my life on drugs because yeah. they they haven't allowed any time for the for the seed to, to grow and for them to be able to reap the benefits of this. 
But so if you are in that space, you know, just keep going because it gets beautiful. Yeah, it's ironic and like uh, insane that like as addicts, we need to learn to be patient when it's just something that I don't have in my body. You know, I've had to learn yeah. how to be patient, um, yeah, that's which is where lesson. like prayer and yoga and meditation, mm-hmm. and all those things come in. Um, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having this me. This was really lovely. And if people have like questions or if they want to reach out to you or if they want to book a haircut or color, um, is it okay if they message you on Brent Perkins hair on Instagram? Sure. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, this was real. This was a wild ride. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. I don't even know what else to say. Me Bye. <laughs>Hey, this is Marina, the host and creator of Sober Baby. Hang out until after the credits for cringy and cute selections from behind the scenes. To listen to all of our episodes, watch the live show each week, and to support Sober Baby, head to our link tree, l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e backslash Sober Baby. Thank you to all of our patrons for helping make this show possible. My college cutie, Miranda DeMays Nordling, for music direction, curation, and licensing through Now Again Records. Queen of Crochet, Jenny Alpa, for audio engineering. My partner, Danny Vargas, for the endless support and love. And all of the sober babies out there, because without you, this doesn't happen. Nothing good gets stuff. me going like a quiche. <laughs> nothing. nothing like like really? A good, like, nothing like a good quiche to get you going. Just to fuck you up. Exactly. Okay. <laughs>